Lights up on Galaxy Brains. Oh, Dave, no, good God, what are you doing? Working on my Hamilton audition. Pretty sure that's a song from In the Heights. What can I say except you're welcome? Okay, that's more in your kid. No, no, because that's the rock song from Moana. Doesn't matter. In the Heights, Moana, and Hamilton, they all exist in the same reality and the same cinematic universe. Dave, what has this show become? Just you wait, just you wait. This is Galaxy Brains, and today we are absolutely throwing away our shots into the colorful, peppy musical void that is in the Heights and the Lynn Manuel Miranda verse. Welcome to Galaxy Brains, the podcast where movies, TV, and overthinking collide. I'm Dave Schilling. And I'm Dave's trusty bodega boy, Jonah Ray. And each week on the show, we start with the logical brain, advance to the critical brain, question literally everything with the interrogation brain, and of course, arrive to the blessed state of the galaxy brain. Today, our guest is comedian, writer, and host of the podcast, Hyphenated, Joanna Hausman, and we are talking about the motion picture adaptation of In the Heights. But first, you, the musical theater Luddite, might be asking, what the hell? Me? Yes, you. You might be asking, what the hell is this movie about? Cats? There's a couple cats, but they don't talk, they don't sing, and they don't dance. They just eat and wander around a bodega. Phantoms? Is this about rent? If you don't want to hear spoilers for In the Heights, this warning absolves us of all responsibility if you hear too much. Don't listen if you haven't seen it and you plan to. That said, this is a musical about a bunch of normal people doing normal things in New York City. It's not The Sixth Sense. None of these characters are ghosts. And that was too bad, Dave, because I do think the third act could have used a Slimer or a Poltergeist, some kind of spectral being. Well, sadly, we get zero specters in this movie. Instead, the film version of In the Heights is a mostly faithful adaptation of Lin-Manuel Miranda's Tony Award-winning musical about a dewy-eyed dreamer named Usnavi, who owns a modest bodega in Washington Heights, New York. During a dramatic, super inconvenient blackout, Usnavi has to grapple with two competing desires. Returning to the Dominican Republic to reopen his father's beachside bar and romancing sweet Vanessa, an aspiring fashion designer trying to move downtown. Making my way downtown. I really thought that was going to be like a Michael McDonald song. Making my way downtown. I'm making my way downtown. Things will never be the same again. What's not faithful to the original musical is the addition of a subplot about the United States Immigration Policy DACA, or Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. Miranda and the musical's original writer have made Usnavi's wise-cracking cousin Sonny an undocumented immigrant. This new subplot adds a timeliness and a gravity the original musical simply didn't have. But what else is going on in this movie? Like, what's really going on in this movie? Sounds like a job for Critical Brain. Here he comes now, able to jump to a conclusion in a single bound. Dave, musicals, musicals, musicals. 
Are you a fan of musicals? No, I am not a fan of musicals. I know I'm going to get a lot of heat for this from some of the, the listeners on the show. Not a thing for me. But you do love music and you love movies. Yeah. Sometimes two great tastes don't go together, Jonah, like sardines and watermelon. You've never tried. You've never tried those. But I have tried musicals multiple times. What about you, Jonah? It really just depends. I like Rocky Horror Picture Show. That's a musical. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of uh, that movie. They're probably the first musical I really, really liked. Um, I also really enjoyed. Uh, no, no, I think that might be it. <laughs> Did you ever see Book of Mormon? I am a Mormon. And a Mormon just believes. I saw Book of Mormon as the first musical theater I've ever seen. And I walked out of that blown away. I was like, that is maybe the best show I've ever seen. Did you notice how like they would turn a set around? It would be a whole different location. And then the lights would make it seem like it's a totally different place. And then my wife, Deanna, goes, yeah, that's every musical. That's kind of base musical theater production. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's a good point that you're bringing up. The stagecraft of it and the magic of when you see it done in person. But translate that to a movie where the artifice is implied and accepted and you don't have to trick people as much. It doesn't have the same power, I think, if you see it in a movie. I think that's good that we mentioned our takes on musicals in general before diving into this. So if someone's upset, it's coming from a place of no authority. <laughs> but the thing that I was really blown away by was the added the elements of some of that baby driver style editing and motion kind of going along with the music of like real life stuff happening, sweeping the hose and whatnot. And then also adding the extra element of the visuals of like when they're describing stuff with their hands. Little cartoons pop up. Yeah, yeah, I did like that because, like, why not? Why not at that point? People are already breaking down to song and dancing. Why not just go the whole way? I mean, you're not making dancer in the dark. You can get a bit fantastical. The most important point either of us could make in this episode about a thing that we know nothing about, when you are making a musical movie, you almost have to replicate the magic of the live experience like I was talking about. And the only way to do that in a movie is to make everything magical, to make everything fantastic, to have those little moments where there's like the camera is doing unnatural things or people are walking on the sides of buildings or people magically make cartoons pop out of their hands. That can replicate some of the like phantasmagorical nonsensory <laughs> that happens on a stage. Hold on, hold on. Getting getting Webster's on the phone right now to add that. I'm allowed to make up words. <laughs> this is a very New York movie. I was just in New York uh, a couple weeks ago and had a great time. Jonah, you don't really strike me as a New York kind of person. You're such a West Coast sort of relaxed guy. What is your personal connection to New York? The first time I ever went there is when I had a job as a writer's assistant for a show on MTV called The Andy Melanaka Show. I subletted an apartment in Greenpoint. I had to learn how to take the train. It was the winter. There was a transit strike. I was scared and I cried a lot. And the fact that you could drink till four is like a fucking dare. <laughs> how could, who, why, what, why is that allowed? Why is that allowed? There's people got to work. It's one of the busiest cities in the country. It's everything all the time. And I understand that's the allure of it. But I'm just a simple island boy from the middle of the Pacific Ocean. When I got to New York, it, I found it to be uh, loud and dirty and only really worth being there if you were a fucking millionaire. I think New York and Coachella are the same. It's only worth being there if you're a millionaire. <laughs> 
another thing about New York is that it, I didn't feel the magic there. I like it most in movies. And then when yeah. I see it in movies or I watch 30 Rock, I go, maybe it's not so bad. Come on, this is the capital of the world. The culture, the this movie does what you were saying that things like 30 Rock do for you, which is make it seem like it's exciting all the time and it's cool and it's fun and it's magic. That's the thing that this movie really is about. It's about the magic of the neighborhood, the block that you're on, the little space of the world that you are in. But that's what's important about stuff like this is it can capture that, that magical feeling that sometimes every so often you can get in New York on the right day in the right circumstance. Not one plastic bag flew by at any point in the movie. How many rats did you see? Nobody pissed on anyone's shoes, as far as I can remember. Our producer, Kylie, not too stoked on this section. Kylie's in New York right now. Like, you're saying I wasted my life, you fucking nerds. No, we're just saying you're spending too much money. Rent is escalating. The rich are penetrating. They are corporations when we should be demonstrating. There are these people just crammed together trying to make it work. And that's in this movie, that feeling of trying to just make it work. Like, holding on together though like the whole blackout sequence in the movie it is about this collective need for survival it's the neighborhood bands together to help each other and uh you know characters doing things to give back to each other that's beautiful in its own way and new york does have that more than places like los angeles but it also has people pissing on your shoes that's very true i did enjoy how fantastical it was i did enjoy its pure escapism and Jimmy Smith. Good morning, Usnavi. I thought he was a great villain in Dexter, and he was a sad hero in this one. There's a clip going around the internet from the movie. Like, this has kind of become a, a semi-viral moment from the film. He comes into the bodega during the beginning of the movie. And it's like, I don't know why it's so funny to hear Jimmy Smith bellowing out, Good morning, Usnavi. But every time I see it, I'm just like, ha. This is fun. This is fun. When that moment happened, though, I did go, all right. Okay. All right, Jimmy Smiths. Damn, dude, you got pipes. We didn't know this guy had pipes like that. He's like Pavarotti out there. Check out Pavarotti over here. Hey, Smiths, look at oh, Who do you think he is? Pavarotti or something? Plastido Domingo. You can't hold a candle to Plastido Domingo. Let's talk about the ridiculousness of Usnavi, the name and how it came about. And I know it's a joke in the movie, but it is also super weird. It's a really weird thing to do, to name your main character after a U.S. Navy boat. It's the first thing he saw when he immigrated to America. I kind of get it. I think I feel like there's probably a lot of stories like that with immigrants. And then this was it had some basis in reality. That said, boys, when I when they revealed that's where he got his name, I was like, what? <laughs> Excuse me? I also want to know how old everybody is in this movie. I know when, when it first came out as a musical, Lin-Manuel Miranda played Usnavi, and he seems like he's been 42 his entire life. Uh, but Sonny is working at this bodega at 6 in the morning, opening up, making a cafe de leche for people. And then he's going to school? What, when does he find the time for all this stuff? Nina is going to, to clubs and drinking, but she's in her first year at Stanford. Is she 21? 
Are they selling her illegal alcohol? I guess this is New York and there are no laws. Yes, this is the Heights, man. This is how it works. We all look out for each other for the greater good. We're all looking out for each other when we're trying to get smashed. (laughs) We've had a horrible fight with our father about whether or not we're going back to school. So yeah, let me get some shots. I guess the most amazing thing about this movie visually, and there's a lot of amazing things visually about this movie, is the sequence where our sweet, dear Abuela Claudia dies. She sees her whole life flash before her eyes. And of course, if this is a musical, which it is, her life flashing before her eyes will be done in song. So she's in the subway, and the subway goes from how it looked when she first came to America to today, and then back, and then like it's Cuba for a while. It's really amazing from a technical standpoint how they put this together. And this was the one part of the movie where I really did get emotional. I made it through. I survived. I did it. Now do I leave or stay? Anyway, I want to talk about the director of this movie, John M. Chu, who has kind of defined himself as the great musical director of his generation. And despite coming from the Step Up franchise initially, he has created a reputation for making really great broad and soap opera-y. He also directed one of the G.I. Joe movies, which I forget all the time. I think he directed the second one. Also, during the production of this film, he had a son And you want to know what he named his kid? Usnavi? Heights. Oh, my God. He lived the movie. (laughs) He really, like, he cared so much. I wish he had a kid when he was directing G.I. Joe. (laughs) He named his son Snake Eyes for some reason. This is my daughter. (laughs) Step it up. Step it up. Say hello. Step it up. Heights. Snake Eyes. (laughs) It's all one word, too. Step it up is one word. And when Sip It Up messes up, Sip It Up, Sip It Up, Sip It Up. You fucked up, Sip It Up. His child's name aside, what a great director. This is not just a movie about having a good time and having fun. As we mentioned in the Logic Brain section, now there's a subplot about the DREAM Act and about immigration policy in the United States of America. It felt like a a way to make it timely. What I know about musicals is that there are a ton of uh, storylines that you have to keep track of. So it didn't throw me off. Like I was like, oh, and here's the, you know, socially conscious dramatic point for the movie. It did make me think about Hamilton, though. Immigrants, we get the job done. Which is also a story about immigration, immigrants, and coming to America, and the promise of the American dream, and whether or not that dream is actually a reality, or if it's just a lie we tell to ourselves. And that got me really thinking, Jonah. That got me chewing on the bone, so to speak, of a galaxy brain idea. And that idea, Jonah, quite simply. Dave, this sounds like it's going to be like super intense. This might be the more serious galaxy brain take we've had. I know, yeah. Because we're talking DACA, we're talking immigration. We're talking about Hamilton. I think that every movie that Lin-Manuel Miranda has written or co-written is in the same universe. I think they're all connected. No, 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 no. Just like the Marvel films, they're all connected. Let me lay this out for you, okay? I I can sense, I can sense your dubiousness. I can sense your skepticism. All right, fine, fine. Thrill me. So, Hamilton and In the Heights take place in the same timeline. America between 1776 and 2000 whatever. That part doesn't matter. 
It also takes place in the same location. Hamilton Grange, which is Hamilton's house in the musical, is just a few blocks south of Washington Heights. Yeah, but Dave, Manhattan isn't a huge place. I'm sure it has a lot of other crossover stuff, too. Like, it's near the the firehouse and, you know, Ghostbusters or something. Jonah, you know what they say, okay? Location, location, location. That is about real estate prices, Dave. It could be about whatever we want it to be about. Anyway, Chris Jackson and Lin-Manuel Miranda both have cameos in In the Heights. We can extrapolate from that detail that they are playing the descendants of Washington and Hamilton. You can't say no to this. <laughs> I can't. I can and I will. Okay, fine. Uh, how does Moana fit into this shared connected Miranda verse, dude? Moana is also a musical, just like the other ones, but it adds a new element to the universe. Magic. Magic? Magic. The reason the streets are so clean in Lin-Manuel Miranda's New York, as you pointed out, is because there's magic to clean it up. Those big, beautiful, floating pieces of fabric during Vanessa's song, also magic. <laughs> the cartoon diamonds being passed around by Benny during the song 96,000. 96,000. 96,000. Dollars, holla. Those are real diamonds. He conjures them just like Maui conjures that big fish hook in Moana. Okay, if there's magic in the Heights, why doesn't Usnavi use magic to, one, change his name, or go back to the Dominican Republic instead of taking an airplane? Why is it, what's the, where's the magic in taking a flight? Booking a flight isn't magical. Having to like check your luggage isn't magical. Any necromancer will tell you their powers have limits. <laughs> so you're saying Usnavi is wielding dark satanic supernatural abilities? It would explain his name. No, no, he's more like a benevolent warlock. Jonah, how do you think Abuela Claudia won the lottery? Luck? You think she just lucked into $96,000? No, she used her powers. $96,000. No, I, D Dave, I think I hate this. How many completely absurd coincidences in this incredibly long movie can be explained by invoking magic? Dave, 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 Davey, Dave, Dave, Davey, Dave. This is a musical. People break out into song for no reason all the time. That's one of the reasons that makes us uncomfortable. I think it's the amount of intimacy of someone just breaking out song and looking directly into the lens and staring at you. But that doesn't mean that these people are necromancers. Fantastical situations are a part of the charm of the genre, I've been told. Or they're part of an elaborate interconnected universe. Jonah, don't you see? This movie was made for me. Please stop, please stop, please stop. I have no. to overthink this yet again. I scribble down my hot takes with a pen. Please no more, no more. I have to overthink this yet again. I scribble down hot takes with my pen. Please stop now. When we come back, we'll be talking to Lin-Manuel Miranda, expert Joanna Houseman. She's gonna tell us where she's been. Her thoughts upon this subject make me grin. 96,000. 96,000. Dollars, holla. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
welcome back to Galaxy Brains. Today, we have 96,000 ideas, but we've landed on one that has launched us out of this world and into Lin-Manuel Miranda's expansive universe. Joining us is comedian, writer, and Lin-Manuel Miranda expert, Joanna Hausman. Joanna, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. You know, I'm not going to throw away this shot. This is big for me. <laughs> um, I'm so happy to be joining you guys in this conversation and my uh, supposed expertise on Lin-Manuel Miranda. Well, I mean, this is something I want to ask you before we get going. We were off of the air talking, just chatting. And you sort of have a vague connection to Lin-Manuel Miranda personally. Is that correct? Um, yes, it's a very strong connection. He was my brother's neighbor and we would cross each other when he was walking his dog. Was he nice to his dogs? <laughs> yes. And he was very nice. And he'd always say, oh, hi, good morning. And that's where we became friends. And by friends, I mean, that's the extent of our relationship. <laughs> I have a feeling that I am also super good friends with Lin-Manuel because he tweeted about me once. That means you're his best friend. Okay, great, 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 great. What did he say? When the first season of Mystery Science Theater came out, he tweeted about how impressed he was about the monster rap I did in the Reptilicus episode because it was all done in one take and it was like a lot of words. This is your moment. This is your shot. And if we suck up to him enough, maybe you'll be in Hamilton too. 96,000. I think this makes you his cousin, actually. Perfect. Oh, this is great. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're all connected to him in some way, I'm sure. Just like all of his movies are definitely connected. Dave, to be fair, real quick, you have no connection to him. So <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and see myself out. Good night. But Dave aside. Okay, besides me, everybody else is connected to this guy and his movies are connected. You know, there's tons of interconnected universes in movies besides Marvel. The filmmaker Jacques Demy brought back characters from his movies like Umbrellas of Cherbourg and Model Shop. Kevin Smith had the Viewsk universe. So it's not like this idea is ridiculous. Is it so outrageous, really, that this could happen, Joanna? I mean, I don't think it's crazy to assume that like Hamilton sort of takes place in a similar place as Washington Heights. But not only that, like, for example, Eliza Hamilton founded a school in Washington Heights. OK, so maybe this school is the school where our characters go to in in the Heights, for example. That's just one example of how the, these worlds can be connected. <laughs> wow. Whoa. Whoa. OK. OK. Jonah, see, this is all starting to come together and feel really nice. I don't know why I needed Joanna to break it down that way where I'm finally on board with it. Maybe because she wasn't screaming at you like I was. <laughs> now you're on board. Like I was like, an actual building? All right, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, maybe because she has real evidence. That helps. I don't know. I did say she was an expert. <laughs> I am an expert. I am an expert on Lin-Manuel. Lin-Manuel, call me back. He's listening to the show. He's like, Jonah Ray, my favorite guy. I got a list of galaxy brains. Musicals are a thing that I, I don't have a lot of awareness of. Jonah, same thing. But Lin-Manuel Miranda is now today probably the most famous person working in musical theater that there is. Does any other musical writer have this level of popularity? And are there any other connected universes in musicals? Is there a Stephen Sondheim or George Gershwin connected universe we could be talking about? I think that the reason Lin-Manuel is like the 
who wrote the Da Vinci Code? Dan Brown. Dan Brown. Like, and I don't, I don't mean this in like a bad way, but like he definitely is like the Dan Brown of musicals where people that didn't like to read read the Da Vinci Code. You know what I mean? And then people who didn't like musicals are like, oh my God, Hamilton is my jam. Why? Because it has like the sounds of hip hop. It has like the sounds of R&B. It isn't just like the stereotypical, like I'm gonna have orange juice. <laughs> It's like he does have that in some of his, but not all the time. You know what I mean? So I think that like that's the reason he's he's so popular. And I'm going to be honest. I think that there's a lot of people pushing the narrative of these connected worlds because they want them to be connected because they know the world so much. They become so enamored with the worlds that he created that they seek and they're hungry for them to be connected, including myself. I'm not talking about Moana. I think that's a little bit of a stretch, but at least in the Heights and Hamilton, you know what I mean? I do feel there are a lot of connections. There's a lot, like, for example, even the themes, there's a lot of themes of immigration. There's themes about legacy, about like what we're going to leave the world with. And even, I don't know, I like to compare my, uh, what is it? My Shot and 96,000. 96,000. Literally the same song, but done centuries later. So there are connections. Uh Uh-huh. Yes, go on. I feel like you are agreeing with me when you say these things. I, I, I am agreeing with you in the sense that like, yes, maybe there are some connections here, but I don't know if they're on purpose. Okay, well, I'll tell you what is on purpose is Christopher Jackson is basically in all of his movies. He's in In the Heights. He's in Hamilton. He's in Moana. You have to assume he'll probably pop up in Lynn's adaptation of the musical Tick, Tick, Boom. So is Christopher Jackson kind of like his Stan Lee? I think you're right. I think you're right. And how old is Lin-Manuel? Old enough. I'm sure that's what he'd tell you. Old enough. I should know this. I'm his best friend. But um, he has a long career ahead of him. So I think you're right. I think we're going to be seeing a massive world that maybe... I don't know what Moana, maybe Moana has a lot of... Uh, There's magic and in the heights too. Leaving home and maybe not leaving home. Leaving home, legacy, identity. Very sweet magic tricks. Water. What? <laughs> you know, there's water. Masses of land. There are bipedal beings singing. <laughs> magic. It's all connecting perfectly. It's clean. But I do think that like, there's so many similarities in all of these stories and, and the character wants are so similar. And I think that makes it easy to cast similar people and all of them is that the characters are kind of similar to each other. Like I have this theory that Usnavi in in The Heights, people compare him to Hamilton, right? Because it's like the main guy. But I actually compare him more to Eliza because Eliza was like the conduit for everyone else's dreams and destiny. And that's what Usnavi does in the whole movie. Mm. Usnavi is like, all right, I got to put my stuff on hold or maybe not, whatever. But I need to help Abuela and I need to help this person and this person with their legacy. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly the themes are ever present and the characters do serve similar purposes. I still think that (laughs) these connections are very, very explicit and because they're all the same universe. So I want to ask, uh, does that extend to other Lin-Manuel Miranda appearances? Does his appearance on Curb Your Enthusiasm count? Does his work in uh, his Dark Materials count? Can we add these to the universe? Isn't in Curb, he's trying to help Larry David with his Fatwa musical, which is like a disaster. Well, if we think about it, let's 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 think about this. Like Larry David is trying to make 
a musical not about his culture, right? He actually offended a lot of people while he did it. And I think Lin-Manuel thought it was genius. And, you know, maybe this is sort of linking him to this greater narrative of people taking cultures and writing about them without knowing really what they mean. And what he's done in his career is done the opposite. He's shown us American history through hip hop and rap, you know, and then in the Heights is sort of like, this is what it is to be a Latin person as an immigrant in the United States. Maybe his appearance in Curb is sort of like, this is an alternate universe where I don't stand for the things that my work stand for. Yeah. And his dark materials is an alternate universe where bears talk. And I love that for him, you know, as his cousin, I love that for him. But like you you pointed out very wisely that there are a lot of recurring tropes in these musicals. The death of Abuela Claudia is a huge plot point in this play, in this movie. There's also an important grandmother character in Moana. Plus, Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote the music for the ultimate space grandma herself, Maz Katana in Star Wars The Force Awakens. What's up with this dude and grannies? Dude. I mean, he's Latino. <laughs> that makes sense. Okay. Latinos, okay. The Latino culture, a lot of it, you know, it's full of so machismo and stuff, but it's also a very matriarchal society. So grandmothers are perceived almost as like things you venerate in the family, the people that need the most respect. They are like the gods, the demigods. Yeah. Which grandma is basically a demigod in Moana and in the Heights. She is kind of a demigod as well. She like is the mother of all, not even mother. I don't even know what she is. She's 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 beyond a mother. She's the Virgin Mary. She's never had her own kids, but she has all these children. <gasps> Bingo. Oh my God, Jonah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, my breath has been taken away. Where to? I do not know, but it is gone. That is exactly it. Yes, it's the Virgin Mary. And, I, and, and Latin culture is very Catholic. So it all links back to this sort of idea of the mothering perfect female that isn't, you know, a Hollywood trope. It's a trope within the Latino culture. Would it be fair to say that Abuela is also magic? A hundred percent. Okay, see, here we go. She's got magic inside of her. And that magic, that literal magic, is what people are so impressed by. Yeah, I think she is magic. Because, like, who else would want to, like, spend time with a random person? <laughs> Like, there's so many people that are like, oh, my God, I love Abuela. And like in the movie, it's like, OK, but what did she do like exactly for you? She's like the godfather. She's like Don Vito Corleone. Everybody's like trying to get get an audience with her all the time. I don't know what I should do about my bodega. Should I go to the Dominican Republic? Do you want to come with me, Abuela? Yeah, why not? I can put my feet in the sand and, what, and all that. She does have, like, like you said, a demigod sort of vibe. She is the most important person in this community. Yeah. And then. When she dies, like the vigil looks like a procession, like a religious procession. It does. Yeah. We don't venerate older people in American society. Typically, we see them as a burden as opposed to a fountain of wisdom. And I think that's really unfortunate because, boy, we could use some wisdom in our culture right now. <laughs> a sign note to that, they just found a lost George R. Romero movie from the 70s called Amusement Park, which is essentially about how elderly people are kind of tossed aside. It's like a horror movie for old people where they're just in this amusement park and it's too much for them and it kind of escalates from there. But it is like a thing that's been happening for a very long time and in a culture that becomes so youth-focused. Yeah, a fun fact, another horror movie for old people is The States. 
actually. I think you're 100% right. Coming from Venezuela, for example, old people, they move into your home. They are part of your world. You're, they don't live in a like alternate world in a retirement home where they're sort of thrown away from society and sort of cast away. And what we see in in his movies is like, no, they're, they're literally part of the fabric of this society. They are involved and they are there to bestow wisdom, even though they never really say a lot of wisdom in it. They are there to bestow wisdom. I unfortunately did not get to spend a lot of time with my grandparents because they passed away before I, I became an adult. But they probably could have given me a lot of, of good information about how to be a better person. And we just kind of toss them in the trash. It's crazy. I don't get it. Yeah. Let's stop doing that, people. And the lady who plays the abuela, she um, is, I think, the only cast member playing the same role from the play. I believe that is correct. Yes, she was the uh, abuela Claudia. Which is a huge testament to Lin-Manuel Miranda, like respecting. That's big for a person to go from the stage to the screen and to have it be an older woman in show business is, I think, huge. Yeah, because Hollywood would have wanted to cast like a 40-year-old hot actress and just put like a white wig on her and say, Abuelita, you know? Uh, yeah. I'm sure someone at the studio was like, can we get Salma Hayek for this? A hundred percent. What if, what if Abuela Claudia was banging? <laughs> Jennifer Lopez as Abuelita. I don't know. What do you guys think? <laughs> <laughs> She's sassy. Abuela from the block. <laughs> I want to touch on before we, we wrap up one of the biggest additions to the story from the musical to the movie is Sonny being an undocumented immigrant and DACA. Do you think that a musical is the best way to kind of get the word out and get people talking about these sorts of issues? Because this is otherwise kind of a fun, fluffy, low stakes story. But now you've added a real world problem there. As a musical person yourself, do you find that that's an ideal way to get difficult information across to people? Well, you know, as a comedian, my job is to, you know, impart difficult information with a joke. So I always think that, like, you can do anything with any format as long as you're being respectful to to the topic. I think that they did a good job of it. I think it just goes to show that the pressure this movie was under to literally represent every experience, every type of Latino lives here in the States. And it's it's a lofty thing to take on because it's 20 some different cultures with, you know, several different generations and a lot of different experiences. And I think adding the DACA thing was their attempt to make a point and to educate people that otherwise wouldn't understand it and to humanize it, right? Sonny is like one of the most beloved characters of this movie. And to find out that he's going through this is kind of like a shock. And, you know, what conversations will this make? So I think at the end, it is a positive. I do believe that it was a an attempt to add more to the cauldron of this is a Latinx movie and we must represent everything. And I think that it's got its positive. It's also, I just think it's just like a lot. It's a lot to put into one movie. I appreciated it just from the perspective of believing in the ideas that it's presenting, but I never really felt like it was crucial to the film. It did make the $96,000 lottery ticket more important. 96,000. 96,000. But I, did, I never felt like it was making the point well. But the point that it does make well is that New York is the greatest city in the world, and I disagree with that completely. And I know Jonah disagrees as well. It does make well, Miranda. 
I don't think there's been more, any art made more about how awesome New York is. And it makes me think, maybe thou doth protest too much? I agree. There's way too much protesting going on in this film. Joanna, I want you to sell me on New York City in 60 seconds or less. Because I don't get it, Jonah doesn't get it, but maybe you do. I do get it. Which other place can you wake up at 4 a.m. and say, I want some ramen and find it? Those are the things that are important in life. I've never done that ever. I've never woken up at four in the morning and said I want hot soup. Really? Wait, I have never done it, but I could. And that's the magic of New York is being able to do things you could do, but don't. I want somebody to piss on my shoes. Well, New York is here for you to do that, friend. Come on down. Oh, boy. You know what? Joanna might have won me over with that 4 a.m. ramen. <laughs> there we go. That's all you needed to know. It's not like, you know, it's not the best city in the world because of Broadway and culture and art. It's like if you wanted to maybe see an improv show. Nope. While like taking shots of Jameson in a basement with asbestos. New York is a place to do that. Oh, Lord. You just put a, a series of words together that I don't like. <laughs> improv, asbestos, the basement. The whiskey I could be okay with, but everything else sounds horrible. But you know what wasn't horrible, Joanna? This interview with you. You were fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. Is there anything that you want to plug that you have going on in the world? Yes. If you like conversations about comedy and identity, you know, listen to my podcast, Hyphenated. Yes, definitely listen to that because talking about serious issues with some fun is what we do here. And hopefully more people start thinking about serious issues in the world because... It's a serious time. You convinced me. <laughs> Whoa, shilling 2022. The Galaxy Brain take for this week is serious things are important. <laughs> Thank you again, Joanna. Thank you so much. That was so fun. Thank you, guys. Each week, we wrap up the show with a Galaxy Brain take from one of our listeners. Here's one now. Hey, this is Kevin Reyes, and my galaxy brain take for A Quiet Place 2 is that only in a Hollywood post-apocalyptic world do you lose the man of your life, John Krasinski, and then literally run right into the arms of Killian Murphy. When the apocalypse comes, I want the Emily Blunt version of how my world goes to shit. I'm pretty sure in the third movie they're going to be running from those monsters, and she's going to fall right into the lap of Michael B. Jordan. I mean, okay. <laughs> Yes, it is nice that everyone in this world is handsome. But at the same time, you think she's got a spare moment to knock boots with anyone? No. You think she's even like having a good time alone? No, she's not. She doesn't have time for the physical pleasures. This is what I like about it starts off as a complaint. Where it's like all of a sudden she goes from Krasinski to Killian Murphy. And then like it takes a turn into like what I hope happens after this is it goes right into Michael B. Jordan. And then all of a sudden he's no longer angry anymore. He's just like, yes. And then when Michael B. Jordan goes, that's when you get Ewan McGregor. And when Ewan McGregor goes. Then Channing Tatum arrives and appears out of nowhere and says, hold me. I don't know why I turned into John Lovitz all of a sudden. I guess I've been watching The Critic too much. Acting! If you want to call in, be berated by me, and then have me do a stupid John Lovitz impression, we'd love to hear your galaxy brain take on next week's episode topic, Loki. Or pretty much whatever movie or TV show that's on your mind. Our number is 213-570-8069 and is also listed in our show notes. Give us a call and leave a voicemail with your take. But please, seriously, make it weird. Dave, that's so 96,000. I don't even know what I'm using it for anymore. I don't know what it represents. I just like saying it. Dollars, holla. 
That's a wrap on this week's Galaxy Brains. Next week we get metaphysical with the multiversal madness. That is the new Disney Plus Loki series. Well, it really seems like you're enjoying the freedom to sing as much as you want, Jonah. Well, once you lowered the bar to the ground, buried it, I felt it was okay for me to express myself in the same way. All right. Well, some of us have musical talent and some don't, and we know which one is which. Okay? Anyway... <laughs> Let's talk about some credits. Galaxy Brains is produced by Kylie Holloway and me, Dave Schilling. The show is engineered by Dan Turek with music from Galtham Shrikishin. Our executive producer is Matt Patches and our developing producer is Zach Mack. Polygon's editor-in-chief is Chris Plant and Russ Frustick is the director of special projects. Special thanks to Andrew Melnizik who helped create the show. Until next time, I'm Jonah. And I'm Dave! Hey, I'm walking here! Pizza pie! A little bagel and some nuts! Mets, Yankees, Giants football! Dusted Cop Taxi, starring Judd Hirsch! New York! It stinks! It's